0: Hmm. Yeah. So I, I would give Google Domains a very solid uh, try. I don't. I don't think it offers all of the feature sets that like something like a Hover does. But um, they do like straight up like real simple mail forwarding. You can do that. Uh, they, to configure that, it's very easy to go go right in there and set that up. Uh, they they definitely have made the process of Setting your domain name server, uh, you know, point it to somebody else's DNS server. So, like, for what I did, for example, is I registered my domain name, and then I went over to DigitalOcean, and I got the the name server information from DigitalOcean. And it was very easy to plug that into my Google DNS account and uh, point my domain to my droplet. And so now I've got – I had a droplet that I hadn't assigned a domain name to for a long time. I was just going by IP because it was just for me, but now I'm going to share it with Ange. And I wanted something that she could just type in the domain name. So I, I thought, okay, it's a good excuse to try out Google Domain. So I went over to Google Domain because it just opened up to U.S. public today. I bought the domain. The process is, is is it's it's very straightforward, just like you'd expect. You essentially search for the domain. You use your Google Wallet account to pay for it. So whatever funding source you have for like the Play Store is the funding source you'll use to buy the domain. Once that's set up, you go in there. It's very simple, like five button interface to manage it. Uh, one nice thing is uh, it lists all your domains in a nice list. And uh, at the, the last item in the column is how many days remaining on that registration. So you get a, it's oh, really nice. very straightforward, like how long you have. Uh, very clear. It's very minimal. And then once you click into it, uh, the fields are v- very basic. There's some help. But like all Google products, if you want to dig any deeper, like, for example, when I wanted to find out if I could get privacy for a .us domain... Uh, They have a learn more link. Once you click that, of course, it sends you into the hell of Google uh, help pages, which just go deep, deeper and deeper and never really answer your question. So just like all Google products, if you're comfortable, you'll be able to get something done really quick. Uh, But if you go outside, you know, their area that they have support for, it's you hit a wall. Like there's nobody you're going to call. Like, for example, and this is an ad for Hover. They're not a sponsor. But, you know, with Hover, I, they are my domain name registrar. And I had a very complicated thing happen that was, like, mistakes of, uh, on multiple registrars, and I – there was, like, literally I was trapped between three different registrars who had had, like, an internal database that disagreed with an external. It was very complicated, and 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 one call to hover resolved the entire thing, whereas with Google, I would have been kind of just out of luck, I think. I don't know exactly. They say, you, they, say they have support, uh, chat, phone, or email support. I haven't tried that yet. I'm kind of skeptical, but Google has been stepping that up recently, so –
1: So is it just a registrar, or can you actually manage your DNS zone files from within Google domains?
0: You can go in and manage some of it. So a pre-specified amount of stuff, like your name servers, you can set up DNSSEC, uh, your registered hosts... Uh, you can add synthetic records to do common things like domain forwarding, or you can go to Google Apps, uh, custom resource records, so like you know your your Type A domains, your C names, your MX records. PDRs. Oh right. okay. Yeah,
1: okay. Can, so you can. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah, you can set all that stuff up. Very minimal interface. I'd show it to you, but it has all my AP info in it.
1: No, uh, no, no, no I don't need
0: The pricing is very fair. It was uh, twelve dollars for a .us domain, twenty dollars I think for a .com, or no, not twenty. Uh, it was very. Like, here, you know what? I'll search for one right now. Let's see. Give me a domain name. Let's see. Uh, let's do Ubuntu Touch. Let's see what we get. Ubuntu Touch. All right. So, here I can show you this UI. So now it searches, it gives you a little frowny face for the uh, UI for the domains that are not available. So uh, I get frowning faces for ubuntu-touch.com and ubuntu-touch.net, but I get green smiley faces for ubuntu org. And then it's also recommended ubuntu-touch.equipment, ubuntu, ubuntu properties, and ubuntu systems. So the ubuntu-touch.org $12 a year. ubuntu-touch.equipment and properties and systems are like $20, 30, and twenty a year. Uh, and so it looks like com's are about twelve bucks a year, same with US.
2: One question oh, I was have is um,
3: hover offers uh, volume pricing. So like the more domains you have on your account and hover, uh, the less you pay for renewals for yeah. all of your domains. Yeah. Uh does Google appear to offer anything like that?
0: I don't think so. I don't I don't I haven't played with it long enough maybe to be able to fully answer that, but from the looks of it, you're just doing one domain at a time. Uh, and it's just always the same flat rate every time. You can add multiple domains. There's, like, a cart, but I I don't think there's any discount, but I I could be wrong. Uh, I gave, uh, over the weekend, I gave their latest testing ISO a spin, and it's kind of slick. So, like, uh, one thing that's nice is it does some notifications that are uh, pretty good. And one of the things it'll do is it'll actually update the installer. So I boot the live environment, and I get a I get a notification that comes up and says, "Hold on a second, uh, Antigross is updating the installer." It updates. Yeah, I just
4: had that as well.
0: Yeah, and it closes and reopens it, up, so you get the latest installer, which is pretty nice. And that's uh, good. Well, and I just, so I decided to go with the KDE four implementation. And when I was done, what I got was it's KDE four but with Numix and kind of a GTK look. And before you freak out because that sounds horrible, I. I'm surprised at how not horrible it is. It flattens KDE out a little bit. Um, it it takes away the blue glue, glow and you know the the very um, oxygen look of it. You're going Numix icons. It's, it's kind of it's kind of a GTK look to it. But I actually think it's I don't know if I'm going to stick with that look. But I was surprised how well they were able to take that and translate it to KDE. And the benefit was the GTK apps also looked everything looked kind of at home. It was kind of I was yes. like wow.
5: You're giving me the itch.
1: (laughs) Do you want Uh, want a little bit of um, Arch Linux inside info? Of course. So we had we had voting for new Arch Linux TUs yesterday, and uh, one of the success uh, trusted user. We're the people that look after the community repository and uh, moderate the AUR and, and other stuff. Look after backend infrastructure. But one of the new TUs is the maintainer for LXQt. Oh, cool. Yeah, so guess what's coming to Arch Linux into the official archive soon? Yeah, no kidding. And
0: we'll probably have first-class support. That's great.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I know him quite well because he's, he's he's on the uh, old existing LXDE team, and he's, he's the guy that does all of the package maintaining for LXDE for Lubuntu. So he's come the other way so he's come from ubuntu into arch Hmm. and i've just made the transition from arch to ubuntu so we've sort of passed each other in 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 between there somewhere
0: (laughs) i uh popey i was wondering did you ever end up uh getting a new laptop i know that was on your short list
4: no i uh i postponed it because my warranty on the thinkpad x220 doesn't run out till next year and the and I wanted to keep hold of it just to keep it going until it dies, really, because I don't really I was, need a new I, laptop. I
0: was wondering if you saw that new XPS 13 from Dell.
4: Was yeah, the new yeah. one looks yeah. awesome. But yeah. also, I like the new ThinkPads that have put back the right, old right. keyboard with the, the Nickelodeon.
1: Not the old Not eight keyboard, gig. The, the, proper, the proper keyboard. It's a yeah. proper
4: keyboard. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, too bad the uh, latest. <laughs> Unbelievably, I, I couldn't believe it. I have to double check. I could be wrong. It seems so impossible to believe. I would definitely double check this. But I swear, after I saw the announcement of the new Lenovo's, I went and looked at the video cards and they're Intel 4800s. How can that possibly be? Is that bad? Yeah. Yeah, Sorry? yeah, that's really bad. Because uh, I mean, like the Dell XPS is the Intel fifty five hundred. When you get to five thousand, then you are in the Iris series graphics. It's a whole new category of Intel graphics.
6: Oh, I didn't realize that. the five thousand. Yes, but when fifty five hundred is the new Broadwell chip. Yeah. So Their how? These Iris Lenovo's, is six thousand.
0: The Lenovo must be. Oh, okay. The Lenovo so must still be based not be...
6: on, on the, the that, seems, that seems odd, though, right? Well, no, because uh, Broadwell isn't even shipping yet, technically. Hmm. Like, it's just starting to come out now. Like, it was announced at CES. Oh, so, it's, and, so these um, laptops Bart- are all
0: having... The, these laptops today, shipping, are with a processor that's already been replaced, essentially. Maybe a little bit, but... Yeah, I guess it's gotten so good at this point, it doesn't matter too much, though.
4: And Barton said there will be an Ubuntu version, so that's Yeah,
0: good. yeah, so that's cool. Uh, did you guys all see uh, Linus's rant on Google Plus? Did it happen, like, oh. back in December? <laughs>
5: Uh, I missed it.
4: And I,
0: I just wanted to read it real quick because uh, I, I really hate HFS Plus a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there was this talk about uh, – uh, I, I love it. It's this Google Plus thread, uh, and they're talking about a bug. And a wild Linus Torvalds appears with a great HFS rant. Uh, he says – and he goes on to talk about how there's this bug. And he talks about how there's issues with HFS. He says, quite frankly, HFS Plus is probably the worst file system ever. Christ. What shit it is. NTFS used to have similar issues with canonicalizing UTF-8 uh, using non-canonical representations of slashes. I think they at least fixed them. The OS 10 problem seems to be fundamental. Uh, he goes on to – which is like, okay, so fundamental problems. Okay, all right. So then the thread kind of gets hot, right? And they start kind of – some people come in. Come on, Linus, They start calling him out. Uh, Linus, then some people agree with him. He comes back in to say further in the common thread, the true horrors of HS Plus are not in how it's not a great file system, but in how it's actively designed to be a bad file system by people who thought they had good ideas. The case in sensitivity is just a horrible, horrible bad idea. And Apple 2e could have pushed, or Apple could have pushed fixing it back in that era. They didn't. Instead, they doubled down on a bad idea, and they actively extended it very, very badly to Unicode. Okay, so NTFS did some of the same, but Apple really took it to the next level with HFS+. There's some excuse for bad case insensitivity in a legacy model. We didn't know better. But people who think Unicode equivalency comparisons are a good idea in a file system shouldn't be allowed to play in that space. Give them some paste, and let them sit in a corner, eat it. They'll be happy... And they won't be messing up your system. Uh, he goes. He goes. And Apple lets these monkeys work on their file system. Seriously, it's not even a paste eater quality thinking. It's actually actively corrupting user data by design. Christ. There are lots of good reasons not to move to ZFS, though. Cough. Oracle. But they could have pushed people to a case insens or a case sensitive HFS, which would have then made it much easier in the long run to migrate to anything else. But no. This is not the this is not the choice Apple took. There is a case-sensitive option, but Apple actively hides it and doesn't support it. The stupidity, it burns.
3: Here's the thing, though. When has Apple ever not doubled down on a bad idea? Right. Every time they've had an idea, they've always said, yeah, we're still doing this. They've never <laughs> yeah. admitted that they are wrong.
0: Yeah, they even found a way to ship a one-button mouse that, depending on what you do, actually has six buttons. So, like... Yeah, they've always they've always just like they won't admit when it's a bad idea. I've
5: got a Logitech mouse that's like that, but I love it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily a horrible idea, but it, it does kind of feel like they they even there they won't admit they were wrong. Yeah, that's true.
5: That there's use there.
6: Uh,
0: all right, <clears throat> so there you go, Linus Torvalds rant segment over. We should have a Linus Torvalds
6: rant jingle, I guess. Honestly, it's really too bad that Apple gave up on porting ZFS. Yeah, when I, I, Oracle, well, as soon as Oracle got involved, yeah. they're like, "Nope." Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And it's huh? like, well, if they had just held on to that and waited, and then, oh look, opens at and they could have used that, and every Apple user would be what? a happy camper.
0: I, yeah, and I, it's funny, you know. I guess, I guess, I just would, I would have expected Apple to keep working with Oracle since Jobs and Larry Ellison were BFF. But I don't know. Uh, so yeah I mean it really is and the only reason why I really want to even bring it up is because we were talking last week about how power users are getting sick of the Mac well look, I mean lot people, I, I, what, I, what I like is I have been bitching about HFS for a few years now because of production problems and now more and more people are talking about it and it's going to be more of these kinds of things that will come out yeah HFS is horrible horrible why don't
2: they just use
0: Mac users? Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's barely finding the microphone in all of this Pacific Northwest fog.
3: My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. Hey
0: Matt, is it foggy up in your neck of the woods like it is down here? It's just lingering.
3: I haven't stuck my head outside yet, but it, I see sunshine coming through my blinds, so I think you we're okay. You are such a geek. You know, I haven't gone I am, outside right?
0: today. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I never go outside. I really <laughs> haven't gone outside if I hadn't had to drive into the studio either, so I guess... <laughs>
3: I mean, I only go as far as the Wi-Fi allows. Right, that's so. a good point. That's, that's yeah. a safe bet.
0: Yeah, it's been like this like since last week. We've been surrounded in a fog. But in huh. this fog, we have had time to reflect on the state of Linux. And we have a great show coming up for you today on the Linux Unplug show. Uh, so coming up just a little bit, we're going to do some quick feedback this week. Uh, and then uh, I want to discuss the four best new Linux distributions according to Jack Wallen for 2015. And at first I came into this list and I'm thinking, the four best lists. These lists. These lists. <laughs> I read the list and I'm like, hold on, hold on a second. I think Jack's onto something. These are some compelling distributions. And you might not have heard of a couple of them. We're going to talk about that plus uh, then. After we gave the Mac a good bashing last week and in the pre-show, it is only fair that uh, we get a little real about some Linux issues. But I actually think it's a really great thing. And uh, it's a list, yes, of problems, but of problems I think are addressable, and we'll talk about that in the uh, second half of the show. So, Matt. Yeah. We probably should get started. I'll put everything aside. Close my VLC window. Stop watching YouTube. And uh, (laughs) maybe we'll uh, take a moment and uh, welcome the Mumble crew to the Unplugged show. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble room.
5: What? Good morning. Hello. Hello. Hey, more coffee. Hello. Hello.
0: Hey. Hi-o. <laughs> so before I managed to hit record today, uh, Popey admitted to the uh, entire live stream that he's uh, switched over to Integros. He's now a happy Integros user, and
4: uh, <laughs> you're a bad man. Still gainfully
0: employed. <laughs> <laughs> I had to give you a hard time. No, <laughs> uh, actually, I gave. Uh, I, I downloaded the latest Integros release. They just uh, actually got the testing ISO, but Wimpy reminded me that just released uh, a new stable ISO um, two days ago. Hmm. And, I Matt, I, I tried something that was crazy. I did the KDE version of Integros. Ooh, Ante- Antegros, re- rebellious. And it, when it installs, it's a, kind of a GTK-looking kind of KDE. Now, before you uh-huh. puke, it's Numix-themed, uh, and it actually works. It's sort of a flatter KDE. It's still KDE, but with a slight GTK look, and the result is both QT and GT, uh, GTK apps Look great on the desktop and it's overall it's really it's it's really well done. It's interesting. I don't know if I like it a lot. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it, but I was I was pretty interested in it. So anyways, go check out the latest Antigross ISO uh, yeah. They just released them
5: and screenshots where it didn't happen. I, I, oh, okay, oh, okay, okay.
4: Actually, Chris, um, the installer is running right now on a spare laptop, and I was surprised. I, I like you. You mentioned earlier the auto-update thing the installer has, and I went through the installer and it looked really familiar. And I've realized where they yeah. uh, borrowed some of the design from. It I, looks exactly yeah. like yeah. the Ubuntu installer. I
0: actually, when I first reviewed yep. Endergross, I made the mistake of assuming they had forked the Ubuntu installer. I was, yeah. I was right, very. No, it's a, yeah
4: their own thing,
0: isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and it's neat. It, like like Popey says, when you boot up the live environment, it automatically updates so you have the latest installer, not to mention when it's installing all of the packages. They're the absolute latest version. So if you're installing right now, you're going to get kernel 3.18, which is crazy, and it's great. What were you going to say, Wimpy?
1: I was going to say that when they started making their uh, installer, it was heavily uh, influenced on Ubiquity, and they actually had Ubiquiti's source in their tree yeah. as reference for, for quite some time
0: that was why i actually thought it was so in my review i sort of matter of factly stated it was a fork of the ubuntu installer because i went to their git repo and i saw the code <laughs> for the ubiquity installer i thought and 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 then even once they made their own like they still took some assets and stuff so like some of the files were actually named like ubuntu something and so i thought oh. well dead ringer it's Ow. just a fork right i actually looked at the freaking code and i'm like Dead ringer. And so I say it in the show, and then I got a lot of people contacting me, including the Antichrist developers, like, no, actually, uh, we wrote that from scratch, and we're kind of proud of it. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, is, it seems pretty nice. It is really good. It is, because the opponent was is really nice, too. Give yes. me the itch. I know. I know. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. I, I had the itch, too. I
6: think they'd make a cream for that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, there's a branding opportunity here. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's very true. Uh, okay.
0: <laughs> All right. So, anyways, just wanted to give those guys a plug because they do great work. And yeah. Popey reminded me a little bit before the show started. And then I, yeah. I had a weekend adventure that I forgot to share with everybody. Uh, so, let's cover uh, another distribution that's been getting a lot of attention. Uh, and I think uh, it's a favorite around here Ubuntu Mate or Matai or Matati or Mate. Uh, so, Eric writes in. He says it's awesome. And I thought this was a great story. Different Eric, not uh, producer Eric. Nice. Uh, and uh, he was struggling. Uh, he was not super happy with the direction of Unity after 1204. He says, when it came out, Ubuntu 1204, I was very excited. And uh, he says, but then Unity had to show its face, and I quickly found out, what garbage it is, and my unhappiness began. I downgraded yeah. to Ubuntu 10.04, and I found I liked it more than 12.04. I tried Gnome 3 before downgrading to see if it was any better than Unity, but Gnome 3 is such a pig with different makeup, only really stupid. Sorry, Chris, I know you like Gnome 3, but I'm just channeling my old Torvalds here. Of course, that sounds like he's trying an old version if he's doing it on 12.04. I'm so disappointed by the direction the Gnome team took, it feels like it's different just for the sake of being different, with absolutely nothing redeeming for the power user. Everything useful is turned off By default, by the time you're done turning things on, the desktop sort of resembles Gnome 2. So, why bother, I asked myself. I tried Mint 17, and I was less frustrated by Cinnamon. But it still felt like a skinned Gnome 3. Guys, I have been truly miserable since Ubuntu 12.04. And when I heard on your show about Ubuntu Mate, there was a glimmer of hope. I thought I'd give it a try. (laughs) Ubuntu Mate is what every Ubuntu... Uh, Ubuntu Mate is what every Ubuntu since 12.04, including 12.04, should have been. Mate is a fast and sna- as snappy as GNOME 2 was. It's clean, and I know where everything is. No need to search for anything. It makes Ubuntu Mate makes me feel like I spent the last few years in a nightmare, and I finally woke up. I have my desktop. I have my apps like I did before, but now I have access to sites like Netflix and apps like Steam. No shitty UI. No crappy ads from Software Center suggesting what I should try. No random crashes or UI elements disappearing. My system never uses more than a gigabyte of RAM. I'm just so happy with Ubuntu, mate. I'll just say it again. It's an effective desktop, yet I have way more than before. Hopefully Windows 10 will do the same for Windows users that Mate did for GNOME and just fix it while adding tons of more functionality. Eric. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, wow. steep praise there.
1: I should say so. Smiling yeah, it definitely in, feels like inside. It.
5: Yes,
0: yes. You <laughs> should be. I think people are really appreciate it. Now, Eric, yeah. you take issue, though, with maybe basing it on a really old version of GNOME, right?
5: Yeah, basically, 1204 has GNOME Shell 3.4, which is utter crap. Um, if he were to use a more current version, I'm sure he would have a better experience, because then you've got all the, uh, you've got the client-side decorations, sure. you've got the better... Mm-hmm. It's just better overall.
0: And like uh, some destros, like Fedora, are pre-shipping the GNOME Classic environment now, so it's much. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, true.
5: And you can obtain that in Ubuntu GNOME as well.
0: Uh, Wimpy, did you see our interview with the Mate developer on Sunday's Linux Action Show?
5: I did. Yes.
0: What did you think about his comments on the transition to GTK three?
1: Uh, well, I, I obviously agree. I'm I'm deeply familiar with the uh, difficulties we've had and although I've prepared that unofficial repository uh, with Mate built against GTK3 for Arch users, and that when when Mate 1.10 ships, I will push the GTK3 versions mm-hmm. into the official uh, Arch repositories, but they are very clearly tagged as experimental. And the reason for that is is that whilst they're working fine against GTK3.14 at the moment, As with every GTK3 release, we can't be sure what's going to happen, change, and break with 3.16. So we're kind of hoping for the day that GNOME 4 comes along and GTK4 comes along so that then we have a stable API to target.
0: Wow. Wow, I can't believe you're already hoping for GTK4. Meanwhile,
1: I'm wow. It's imminent, I think. I mm. think it's imminent. I think it's going to mm-hmm. come soon. And the and the other thing that uh, y- you asked Stefano about um Mir support uh, yeah. and Wayland support. Yep, yep. So Wayland support has been on our roadmap for some time. Sure. And definitely Stefano is very keen to start work on Wayland, but um quite recently, probably I I first heard about it around October time last year canonical have starting started to commit mere compatibility patches ah. for GTK three. Oh. So if that continues and comes to fruition, technically it should be possible through GTK three to target Wayland and Mir and what we would need within the Marte team is somebody who's uh, enthusiastic about actually doing it because it's a small team and um, there's lots of jobs to be done. So, so there's uh, you know, opportunity there's for somebody there, to come
0: in there and own that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's dependent on Canonical finishing their work, actually adding the support to GTK3, but I should imagine that's going to happen given uh, this push this year for for um, Unity Next.
0: Uh, now to Blackout24's question um, – and I know I don't know in the case of Wayland, but in the case of Wayland or Mir, is there extra burden on the Mate project to do things like the compositor or something like that? Is there more work you'll have to do besides just toolkit stuff, or is the toolkit going to bring most of that stuff for you?
1: Yeah, it can. Uh, in, in with regards to Wayland, this is one of the conversations I had last year. Um, G- GTK three alone. Is all we need to bring wayland support to Mate. We That's don't great. need to sit on top of Mutter or anything like that.
0: Nice, very fantastic. Well, uh, I'm really interested to see how that goes. Uh, do you think is this going to be a transition that will be very? Uh, is going to Is there going to be a big change for users when they, when when uh, Mate goes to GTK3, or is the theming going to hide a lot of it, or
5: what's that um, going to look like? It well, could be a big
0: I mean, change.
1: Not really. If you if you install it now, you can install yeah. that unofficial repository now. So if you run up a you know a virtual machine with, uh, do it the easy way. Go with Antergos. Seeing as though you were talking about that earlier, they have Mate support, and I know they have Mate support because I I helped add it. And um, you can start with that, and then they use the official Arch repositories. You can then add my unofficial repository, and it's designed to cleanly upgrade. From the official repository. So you could jump from Anturgus with uh, Mate 1.8 built against GTK2 yeah. to GTK3 for Mate 1.9 and you'd be able to see firsthand what it looks like looks like and by and large it looks the very same. similar there's yeah al- almost the same i mean very close and then there's a few applications where because gtk3 just implements things differently mm-hmm. it looks a bit different so when there's uh, tabs in in things the tabs are, are laid out a little bit differently but by and large it looks very very similar and there are a few Arch users that are actually running that GTK three version and have been running a GTK three version for about six months now. So yeah, I almost it did it this is good enough as a daily driver.
0: I saw the uh, I saw the write up on how to do it, and I thought about. It. I think I even linked to it in the Linux Action Show show notes. uh you for did. Sunday. Yeah. yeah, uh, and uh, I thought about doing it just for the interview, so that way I could run it. But I, I just did. I ran out of time. But it looks interesting. I think I want to try it soon. See what I notice. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, you know what else you should all try soon? Uh, something that I love quite a bit. Something that Matt and I use the heck out of. In fact, a lot of the hosts here at the Jupiter Broadcasting use the heck out of. as DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com right now. Go over there and check out DigitalOcean while you can, too, because I'll tell you what. Things are a change in my friends, in the world, and you can have your own server up in the cloud. Uh, earlier today... Matt, I was like, today I was like Mr. Productive, Matt. I don't know what okay. it was. Like I don't, maybe I tried butter coffee. Have you ever had butter coffee before? Butter coffee? No, yeah.
3: I was going to say maybe it was the fog. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Maybe. I just decided not to go outside, so I stayed inside and got a bunch yeah. of stuff done, right? No, I got my butter coffee. That's uh, coffee <laughs> with a little bit of butter in it and uh, coconut oil. Yeah, and then you Weird. immersion Weird. blend that, Matt, like a bouse. You immersion blend that. And uh, then I decided, you know what? Let's go out there. And let's see if I can get a little work done. So I tried out the new Google Domains and I registered a domain and pointed it at my DigitalOcean droplet. The DigitalOcean droplet that I've been using for quite a while to do things like BitTorrent sync and my Quasal Core. You know, stuff that is just handy to have running in the background. But I, I never really thought. I'll just set a couple things up. I, I'll never really use this for very long, so it's not a you know. I didn't. Get, I don't need to register a domain name. Well, today I got right. that done. So now my very first droplet that I ever created, DigitalOcean, I went and registered a domain name for, and uh, <laughs> it's now I feel official because they've all they've all got domains. It's really easy to set it up over DigitalOcean because they have a DNS. They have a part of their control panel is a real nice DNS management system that makes it straightforward. Uh, so here's what I want you to do. Is I want you to remember our promo code, and I'm going to tell you about DigitalOcean, because they're, they're really awesome. Uh, it's cool, it's brand new, and it's for the entire year of 2015, so use it wisely, my friends. D-O-Unplugged. D-O-Unplugged, all one word, lowercase. D-O-Unplugged is our new promo code for DigitalOcean. So what is DigitalOcean? Go check them out right now. It's simple cloud hosting that's really done right. I've got several systems up there now. Because it's straightforward, I get going in no time. It's intuitive and really easy to spin up your own cloud server. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. The pricing plans start at only $5 a month for your own rig. You get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. These droplets are running on top of Linux using KVM, all riding on SSD drives across the board. Digital Ocean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. But it's really the interface. And I really, t- t- just today, just today, like before the show, I literally like, before I came down, I uh, so I probably was doing this uh, 45 minutes ago uh, before oh, wow. I came down here. And it's just, I-, I didn't even worry about like, oh, well, I need to go on air. I need to start the show up because I know how straightforward and intuitive the DigitalOcean control panel is. So I know that once I get in there, it's just going to be, boom, boom, and I'm done. And it really is crazy straightforward. And they've got this API. And it, it they've done a few iterations of it now. It's really clean. It's a really elegant API that the community has embraced and built a ton of apps around. You can take advantage of that today, right now, or you can write something for yourself. They've got a great set of documentation for it as well. Head over to DigitalOcean, check out their tutorials. They've got the best tutorials on the web, and they'll even pay, pay you to write for them. They've got editors that can work with you, and they'll pay up to two hundred dollars for a piece you write for their for their tutorials section. So if there's something that you're an expert on, setting something up that you see a gap and people are searching for that, you could go make a little cash on the side and write it up for DigitalOcean. There's just great resources over there, DigitalOcean.com. Go check it out. Do unplugged is our new promo code to get the ten dollar credit. You can try out the five dollar rig two months for free. Do unplugged. It's a great deal. DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplug. It's so neat to have, Like, I feel like I have my own
3: server farm up in the sky. I know, right? It's like I keep, I, I'm actually still in the process of bringing stuff over from other folks that I work with because I'm like, can you just move it over to DO because then I can just do it? Yeah. And I can just get in there and get things done without having to monkey with whatever you got going on over there. It's
5: mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, guys. Matt, I think you might have a suggestion. I have one suggestion. Uh, but uh, we really have never solved this problem for the audience. Let's take one more okay. crack at it. We can always take submissions from the audience, too. But uh, Duke wrote in, and he's looking for an open source. Ah. Open source solution for remote support. Okay, now, so I think that takes out, like, TeamViewer and uh, a few others. Thanks for an amazing Uh, show, as always. I wanted to ask you how you go about doing remote support and screen sharing a remote control for users behind routers. This is people like friends and family behind home routers and small businesses behind their business routers and firewalls, with them probably using Windows. Uh, So the company I work for uses TeamViewer and Join.me, which work well for the purpose, but I want a solution that's open source, not licensed, and has no subscription. I'm considering (laughs) connecting to a port-forwarded SSH server, which might help, and then using further forwarding to get into their machine over RDP. But there's got to be a simpler way of doing this. Is there a TeamViewer-like solution that I haven't heard of? Thanks for any tips. Uh, Keep our Sundays rocking. Duke cake. Now,
3: what do you think, Matt? Anything jumping out at you? You know, he kind of hit the nail on the head as far as if you want to go with an open source solution, it is certainly doable, but it's going to require some work, some SSH, some some of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of forwarding, you know, a little bit of IP magic. Um, there's nothing out of the box that I know of specifically it's going to do what he wants. That's open source. And I personally just happen to use uh, TeamViewer or, you know, one of the others, just whatever works at the time. So not off the top of my head, no.
0: Yeah, I was thinking maybe Chrome uh, Remote Desktop, but again, that's not free. And and that's been kind of buggy
3: sometimes. I've mm-hmm. had some issues, mm-hmm. so...
0: Wimpy, is there a way to accomplish this with X2Go?
1: There is, yeah. X2Go has a desktop sharing feature. So oh even, my so, God, like, even really? if
0: I'm not using it for like remote terminal services what? style things, somebody could remote control my session still using the X2Go client?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I have this on oh. my father-in-law's machine at his house. <gasps> so he's got port forwarding on his router, to his laptop. And when he All needs right. help, I X to go into his machine on a shared session and we talk through what he needs to do. And
0: how does the IP mapping and stuff like that work? Like when he's behind his router, does it universal well, plug and play that? Or?
1: I've, no, what I've done is I've um, put um, his Mac address in the DHCP server on the router. So he always gets the same IP oh. on, his, um, on his laptop. So the port Smart. forwarding always works.
0: Ah, so you set up port forwarding. So that's one disadvantage. But if you have the advan- if you have yeah. the ability to set up port forwarding, uh,
1: yeah, how else yeah. would you
0: do that? I can't because you'd, you'd have to have a piece of software on the remote client that's updating the firewall in real time with your, you know, your- the
1: the only other one I know is you can do reverse um, reverse VNC connections. Uh-huh. So I I yeah. would have to configure at my side the port right. forwarding and i can set vnc to listen and then the the client my father in law can establish mm-hmm. a remote connection to me and I see his screen yeah, on mine. Yeah, yeah. And oh. I use I use that for, for tech support at work so our customers at work can effectively send their screen to us. So I'm trying to think, um, like
0: Skype offers some remote control features, but again, it's pretty buggy
1: and it uses Skype.
3: Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, use Skype. Sc- sc- yeah, Skype's
1: no. not open source and VNC's really slow. slow and it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm seeing Romania, uh,
0: R-E-M-M-I-N-A, mentioned by Ikepi in the chat room. Yeah,
3: that was kind of where I was thinking. It's just well, it's one of those things where it requires a little bit of massaging to get there, but right. yeah, that would work.
0: Right, and Bentley's right. reminding us that Universal Plug-and-Play will do the port forwarding, right. but you you know you have to have something that calls on Universal Plug-and-Play. And, Plug and, Play to and do you have it. to have it
3: enabled. A lot of people don't. Yeah. 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 And, 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 like, and Bentley's here in the forum yeah. no, as well. I know. I just okay. I, we,
0: We've we already mentioned Universal Plug-and-Play twice. Um All So
3: right. I <laughs> think, and I, I know,
0: so we know there's ways to do it, right? Like, if there was a yeah. way to trigger Universal Plug-and-Play using a remote client, to, I like I like, honestly, if you have the ability, X2Go is going to give you unquestionably the best performance. Probably better performance than any commercial packages out there. Uh, the only yeah. downside is you got to have the port forwarding set up. That, that doesn't, I mean, that might be, if you're doing a small group of people, that might be doable. Uh, yeah, I was wondering yeah. too if Jitsi, I don't know if Jitsi offers remote screen control. I think it's just remote screen sharing with Jitsi. So I don't think that would do it. But if anybody out in the audience knows, uh, the feedback thread in the Linux Action Show subreddit or... Uh, Go over to the contact page on Jupyter Broadcasting and let us know. I would love a fully-fledged open-source remote control product because right now I'm doing a mix of Splashtop, which is yes. hit and miss, Chrome Remote it's Desktop, which is – so I look, literally, Matt, sometimes I have Chrome Remote Desktop <laughs> and, and Splashtop on the same rig because at any given time, one of them doesn't work.
3: See, and that's been it for me is that like on Ubuntu boxes, Splashtop is great. On anything other than Ubuntu, Splashtop is a face, face to a brick wall um, as far as on the Linux side of things. Um, so I tend to go like with TeamViewer and like maybe if I'm running something like Arch based or something like that, I generally have had better luck in that space. Usually it's TeamViewer or Splashtop for myself. Oh, you know,
0: uh, one that I, we've talked about like three years ago on the show is Guacamole. Which is an HTML five, Guaca- oh. Or maybe it was like two years ago. Or so. we talk, remember, we, yeah. remember we talked about Guacamole really briefly? I do. Yeah, yeah that
3: was briefly. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, and so that's another one to check out is guacamole at guac.dev to, or guac-dev.org <laughs> or something like that. Anyways, that's a good one uh, that uh, yeah, came in.
6: Most of the WebRTC ones I can think of are all just like views screen Viewing. you can't yeah. modify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because hm. you wouldn't mm. want the browser to be able to give someone remote control.
0: <laughs> guacamole, I like the name. It's a great yes. question and it's... Uh, it's something at the, towards the end of the show, major problems on the Linux desktop 2015 edition. One of the things he calls out is uh, remote desktop support solutions like this. So I think Duke kind of nailed it a little bit. Uh, I think he's kind of right. Uh, and I, I, I know there's other things out there you could obviously do. Like for example, uh, at first, I thought I always needed, re- if they're on Linux boxes, I always thought, oh, I need remote desktop support. And then, you know what I realized? A lot of the times, I can just SSH into the box, kill a process, yeah. update a thing, install exactly. a thing. And I didn't actually need the GUI login nearly as often as I thought I did.
3: Well, and you're escaping the bloat, too, so that if the if the hangup is, in fact, GUI-based, a lot of times you can slide in yeah. under the radar yeah. like that and deal with whatever yeah. the hangup is.
0: Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. Gitso, I'm not familiar with Gitso, but there's a suggestion coming from. Oh China.
3: yeah, that's that. I think that's the reverse yeah, VNC thing,
1: actually. Ah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, that's the 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 client side of the reverse
3: VNC. Yeah, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. I'm yeah.
3: making notes as we go here because some of these are really useful. Yeah, so. yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, mini UNPP could be used uh, to uh, make a program to do this. Oh, okay. Thanks, Bentley. That's good. So I guess there's. I guess you could string a few things together.
3: Uh, that's kind of my – yeah, that's definitely it. Although the X2Go stuff sounds really cool. Yeah, if
0: you just, all you need is just access to that port. So anyways, uh, if, <clears> give, <throat> us your, give us your experiences out there. Send them into the show, and uh, we'll follow them up as uh, feedback next week. Uh, one thing I talked about today on Tech Talk Today, and again, Chrome Remote Desktop, hit and miss, not open source. Uh, yeah. But they did just announce uh, the Chrome Remote Desktop client for iOS, so now you could like, use an iPad and remote oh. into your Linux box. And have remote control, so that's kind of cool. Um, I don't know. You could also do it on your phone. And speaking of phones, why don't we mention our next sponsor, Ting? And then we'll get into the top four distributions to look at for 2015. Linux.ting.com is where you go to support the Linux Unplugged Show. Linux.ting.com, mobile that makes sense, no contract no other termination fee, and you only pay for what you use. Flat $6, pay for what you use. They just take your minutes, your messages, megabytes, add them all up. That's what you pay. It's really straightforward. Linux.ting.com will also get you $25 off your first device. If you have a Ting-compatible device, they'll give you a $25 credit. And they're adding GSM support, in February, so Ting service is going to get even better and better, and it's all still going to be pay for what you use. You can still have Hotspot and Tethering. They're still going to have no-hold customer support, and uh, also, they're still going to rock some great tips. Ting has always got great tips on their blog, and they're doing Ting tips right now for Android. And here is... A great tip for probably most of the audience is if you have a podcast catcher on Android, they've done a roundup of so not only great podcast clients, but how you can set these up, fully animated GIFs, so you can look at it on the smartphone itself, where you need to go, so that makes your only, your, your podcast only download on Wi-Fi. Hey, look at that Linux Action Show HD right there. Look at that. So that way you only get the show, like especially when you're downloading Linux Action Show HD over Wi-Fi, Right. Right. That's a nice tip. And again, you think about, think about this. This is a mobile carrier telling you how to save money. And the reason they're doing that is they've based their business model not on incentivizing you to keep buying the bigger and bigger packages. Oh, you know what? I might need four gigs. Ah, four gigs isn't enough, honey. We better go to six gigs. Oh, you know what? <laughs> We're using six gigs a month now. We better go to ten. Right? And then, of course, you really end up using six one month, four, one month, eight the next exactly. month. It's a huge range because your life is different every single month. So that's where Ting comes in, right? So their model is you just pay for what you use, and that doesn't cost them any more if you use less or more, so they don't mind telling you how to save money. And that's why these blog posts are so handy. So this is a great roundup of how to set up your podcast catcher to only download while it's over Wi-Fi on your phone to make sure you don't get any surprise bills. And it's among a bunch of other great tips. Start by going to linux.ting.com. Try out their savings calculator. See how much money you would save. I'm getting like $2,000 in savings now with their savings calculator. It's crazy because I've been a Ting customer for like two years. Got my Nexus 5 now, and I'm just paying for what I use. linux.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Unplug show. linux.ting.com. And thank you to all of our listeners out there who go there, check out Ting's offerings and resources. Uh, You really are helping us stay on the air by doing that. So we really appreciate you supporting our sponsors. Okay, so uh, Jack Wallen wrote a piece for uh, Linux.com saying the four best new Linux distributions to watch in 2015. And I almost always pass over these top lists because usually they're for clicks and I don't think they're necessarily bad, but not my style. However, it's usually fluff. It's yeah, usually fluff. I, I, yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of thought this was going to be the case with this one. It's not necessarily not fluff, but it's good fluff, I guess. <laughs> uh, so he says every year new Linux distributions pop up, something new and game changing. So he's looking at some of the distributions for 2015. And uh, Mumbarum, feel free to jump in if you disagree. Number one distribution to look forward to, he says, is Evolve OS. Evol- and I, it's, ironically, I got an email this morning that was raving about Evolve OS. Uh, he says, it's incredibly simple to use. It's inspired by the Chrome OS desktop with a user-friendly interface that anyone can sit down and use immediately. The developers of Evolve OS have taken a page from Chrome OS design look and created the Bungie desktop. Bungie is not a fork of another desktop, but is built from the ground up. And uh, I'm pulling up a screenshot right here for those of you watching the video version. it does look very nice. Uh, So Evolve OS, number one. Number two, Sparky Linux Game Over Edition. It's based on Debian testing. It's a rolling release distribution. Sparky Linux Game Over Edition uh, adds Steam, Steam Launcher, Wine, Play on Linux to Sora along with standard gaming tools and services like Game Over Edition Uh, uh, also has in it... um, The PSX emulator, the Kegafusion and Sega Mega Drive Genesis emulators and PSP emulator. So it comes with a lot Mm. of great stuff. uh, and also really low resource desktops. So there's one for you. And then number three, Corora Linux. Corora Linux is a Fedora remix, we've talked about it before. You can choose between KDE, Mate, Cinnamon, Gnome, XFC desktops. It includes a number of packages that Fedora can't ship. It's based on like the current one's based on Fedora twenty one. Uh, so it includes things like Adobe Flash, Dropbox, Google Chrome, Google Earth, Google Talk plugin, RPM Fusion repos pre-set up, VirtualBox, all based on Fedora. It's like Fedora that's ready to use. In addition to all of this, Corora includes packages called Flarp, I guess, or Fellarp, or whatever it is. It like, it ma- yeah, I don't know. It makes installing drivers like the NVIDIA <laughs> graphics driver super easy. I like so, that. Yeah. So that's Corora. That sounds pretty badass. That sounds pretty badass actually. Uh, and they, they have great. He has a great screenshot here. Uh, Ozone OS. We first heard about this on the Linux Action Show. There's very little to see at the moment, but Ozone OS will be based on Fedora, and we'll have a Numix-flavored spin. It's from the Numix guys. Uh, and It's going to oh, be okay. based on the GNOME desktop, totally numix up. Uh, what's even more interesting about this project is it's partnered with Nutrix, which sells uh, Numix-themed desktop PCs, so you might be able to buy desktops already with this distribution as well. So, four distributions. Evolve OS... Sparky Linux, Game Over Edition, Corora, and Ozone OS. All pretty different distributions. Uh, I think they might have a shot. Uh, Eric, do any of these uh, excite your uh, distro hopping uh, bone that would make you want to maybe try them out?
5: Well, not really the distro-hopping bone, but one I would add to the list would be to 1504, because they will be shipping Plasma 5, so that's really kind of hmm. something to keep an eye on, I think. It's a game-changer, yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Daredevin, you feel like uh, maybe a uh, certain elementary OS is missing?
2: Yes. Um, actually, in 2015, and I have some rumors um, from from some of the devs that... They're working in making their desktop less tightly coupled with just specific of Ubuntu, which could be all good, interesting results. Hmm. changes like, uh, coming.
0: Like the you know, elementary OS desktop environment. Uh, what is that called? Uh, Luna, right? Pentium. Oh, Pentium. Pans-
2: yeah, thank you. Luna is one of the yeah. releases.
6: Yeah. And there's yeah. also BSD one.
2: And in distribution wise, there's also <laughs> Deepin, which it's a Chinese company backing it up. They have uh, full-time developers working on it. And they're submitting code. They actually have a very different desktop environment, basically multiple type of things. But they have something unique coming out of there.
0: I feel like Corora should be getting more attention than it is. You think? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. I think Fedora is compelling, but it's just not really usable uh, without a lot of changes, like number one RPM Fusion, and you know, probably Dropbox and right. Flash. And, but it's, it's for someone, someone that value. wants
3: to open up the hood and get in there and yeah. actually do things themselves. I, right? I don't know.
0: I think Corora has some potential. I've yeah. I've installed yeah. it and I've been pretty impressed by it. So, and you know, it's it, it's close to a mainline distro, so you get all the benefits of a largely supported, big community distro, but with some niceties added to it.
6: Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I guess that was my question about like. Why does each feature have to have its own different version of Linux? <laughs> oh, Alan! <laughs> well, no, I, 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 like I just mean even as no, a Linux I think user, it's a fair it question. Seems, it's, it's a fair like, question. Honestly, I want that feature, but I want it on the Fedora that I'm used to yeah. or the Ubuntu that I'm, I I already have. That's why
0: the rest of us just run Arch because then we just install we just install Arch and then just install whatever you want. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's because it's silly things, Alan. It's like, well, this is based on this and this version of the desktop, which requires this version of the toolkit, and the main version of Ubuntu ships this version of the toolkit because they're shipping this version <laughs> of the desktop environment. So therefore, we're going to go off on our own direction. It usually starts something simple, something simple like that. That is, yeah. Sort so of, and
6: I've, oh, I've, we've had similar complications on other systems with you know bundled software, and that's why. I'd- We've seen a lot sure. of unbundling happening lately, you know, get yeah. everything out of the base system as yeah. you can so that yeah. the package repo determines what version of this toolkit you get or what version of, right. of this that's going to work with that and so on.
0: I think my my predictions is it's it, but the top three distros for 2015 are Arch, Ubuntu Mate, and regular Ubuntu, and followed by Fedora. That's what I think the top three, like, you yeah, know. I, I mean, I I'm not say saying it. in that order necessarily either. It could be a different order, but... Uh I mean these distros are great but uh I think you just you can't deny the fact that uh, every time we look at arch numbers they've exploded since the last time we looked at arch numbers. So I think you got to figure th- that. And Matei is obviously rocking people like look at you Matt you just switched over to Ubuntu oh, Mate. Oh
3: yeah. I, all my systems except for two I think I still have one running uh running arch proper but um but everything else is running uh, Ubuntu Mate. So yeah. Yeah. For sure.
0: There you go. There you go. I, 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 chat room says is not that great. All right. I'll take the word. I don't actively use well, it.
3: Well, and one thing I want to touch on in that article is that I think articles like that are cool in the sense that maybe they bring a little limelight to distros we sure. might not have otherwise yeah. heard of. And yeah. they're cool to check out, you know?
0: Yeah. That's very true. Like, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've heard I've heard some folks in the community talking about Evolve OS now to see this written up here. Uh, and I haven't really been following Sparky Linux Game Over Edition because it's called Sparky Linux.
3: So, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it does sound. It does sound a little unusual. Yeah, like, okay. yeah, I know, I know. am
5: uh, just gonna plug it because I already plugged it. Alex says in the chat room, no, Kate, Plasma Five, love, and yeah, I, you know, that's why I mentioned Kabuntu is because they're going to right. be Plasma Five straight up starting in April, so that'd be good.
0: Hmm. Wimpy, yeah, what do definitely. you th- do? You think uh, Deepin should be getting some love?
1: Well, it's definitely interesting. I installed it um, a few months ago to have a play because I'd heard good things about it. And I have to say, if you've got a Mac switcher who's looking to go to a Linux platform, they're Uh going to feel very comfortable Mm -hmm. with Linux deep in. Um, You need a fairly decent machine because it's compized to the hilt. (laughs) Uh, But it's got some very sexy transitions (laughs) and it's got a unique take on control panels and what have you. It's a very tidily put together modern distribution that I have to say is different from everything else out there. It's not at all like GNOME 3. It's not at all like KDE or KDE Plasma. It's not at all like Unity. Um, You know, they've really done something different.
2: Huh.
0: Dear Devin, were you going to say something?
2: Were you adding something? I was saying that it's not even uh, looking like elementary. As he mentioned, you know, the Mac familiar, uh, yeah. familiarity.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, You're right. It It, it is distinctive. Uh, and it's quite, it's quite good. If you've got a decent machine, it's worth a look.
0: Yeah, it does look very nice. It looks like they don't do very many releases, but that's not necessarily a bad thing at all. Uh, and uh, I know I've even looked at it before, but I cannot remember what it is based on.
1: I
3: think Maybe it was Debian. Debian.
1: Yeah. It's yep. definitely a Debian based system. I don't yeah. know if it's a And, to and, and I and I
3: seem to remember their package man or their, their uh software install or software manager rather, was uh, very creative, very yes. colorful. That was we
0: liked that uh, a lot, yeah. didn't we? We did.
3: Yeah. Real real robust.
0: Yeah, the deep in store. Yeah.
3: Uh-huh. And the reason
1: it's difficult to pin it down is because every time they have a release, the UI is completely different. So I don't know if they've settled on this current right. incarnation of the UI, but every version of Deepin has been distinct from the last. But maybe they've they've settled on this this one now. It'd be worth a review if you if you're doing a distro review. Yeah, we should yeah. look
0: at it again because it's been a year and they have a new release. And Urban One Twenty in the chat room says it's Ubuntu based, and uh, uh-huh. I I believe okay. Urban. I trust him. So, Makes sense. Yeah, uh, and uh, they have some of their own tools like Deepin Movie Player, Deepin Music, Deepin Screenshot, even, and they actually look like decent tools too, which is uh, which is nice. I, I, this is definitely worth another look. I think so. I will put this on the list. Uh, th- I, you' were
5: talking. About, you're talking about my uh, distro hopping bone. This kind of itches my yeah. distro hopping bone yeah. a little bit.
0: I wonder which version of Ubuntu. Is, I bet you know if, if we did some digging, we could probably figure out like exactly oh, which easily. version it's based yeah. on. Hopefully, it's all day. I, I I'm would sure hope so. Of it. Yeah, yeah. If it I'm is, sure it. then give it a go. I think I might yeah. give it a go. Well, all right, there you go. Deepin, and, and by the way, the URL for you at home would like to check it out: linuxdeepin.com. Linux d e p i n dot com to check it out. And you can download the 2013 or 2014 edition and uh, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm looking at the uh, view package list right now, uh, and it, which just redirected me to uh, uh, DistroWatch. So, oh, okay. I'll do some post-show digging because it's been a little while since I've looked into it, and it looks pretty good. Okay, we've got our last topic of the day to get into, uh, major problems on the Linux desktop. And uh, at first... Uh, I thought oh great this is a this is a troll uh <laughs> you know I do appreciate boy it is make the the snow is making my browser freak out though I'll tell you that so it's got a snow background which I do appreciate quite a bit um and I do think the headline is is not quite as provocative, Major Linux Problems on the Desktop. I think we've heard other headlines out there for these types of things that are, are much more attention-grabbing. So I think that's reasonable. The snow, though, really puts it over the top for me. Uh, but it is an epic write-up. And it is a long-running release, too. Uh, this is the 2015 edition, and it's brutal. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. And uh, I think, you know, maybe counter some of it, but acknowledge some of it. and it's Maybe not all bad. Maybe not all bad. First, I want to talk about something that's great, and that's Linux Academy. I'll shake it off!
5: Shake, shake, shake it up!
0: I think that's a song actually uh, linuxacademy.com yeah, yeah shake, shake it right linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Hey, Matt. Linux yeah. Academy just added uh, some NGINX courses. Now, we've talked about NGINX Ooh. quite a bit on TechSnap, and if you've heard us mention it and you're like, what is it? What is, why is it so great? Why not go take some courseware? Uh, Docker courses were recently updated. Vagrant was recently updated. Puppet stuff was recently updated. I mean, it's really all the stuff that you really got to get, get current on. And the great thing is, is that Linux Academy folks are super passionate about all this material, so they're the experts to go to. They've got step-by-step video courses. You'll be able to take advantage of this. So I want you go over to linuxacademy.com right now. Unplugged is the slash you go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged get your 33% discount which is a killer discount and then you get access to all of the content at linux academy You get your own server as the courseware requires it you choose from seven plus linux distributions it'll spin up that virtual server it'll give you a public ip address and a dns name and you ssh into it to do all of your management courseware and then of course when you've chosen like say you choose a CentOS rig to do your courseware on well then that since that's your virtual machine All of the courseware, all of the stuff automatically adjusts to match that distribution. You've got only a limited amount of time available? Well, they've got learning plans. You go in there and say with sliders, Monday I have two hours. Tuesday I have one hour. Wednesday I have no time. i got them filtered. It's crazy. I don't have any time Wednesdays. Thursdays, well, TechSnap's kind of like going to school, so I'll just do one hour. Fridays, I'll put in three hours. Then it generates me a learning plan, automatically just fits that schedule for me, keeps me in the loop. Like It'll send me a little reminder like, hey, bro. You got a quiz coming up tonight. Don't forget to study. Okay? And I'll be like, thanks, Linux Academy. It's great. It keeps you right there. You go back in. You see how long the next section is going to take. You can download this content and listen to it on the go like a podcast. They have live streams where you can ask the educators questions directly. They've got a community. that will get you going if you ever have a little bit of a bump. It's a really cool system, you guys. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. So why not start with the OpenStack Essentials? Really. Like, OpenStack is su- such a fundamental technology in the industry, and if you don't know about it, why not go just take the fundamentals courseware? I hear from folks all the time that start with Linux Academy as a total noob on a topic, and take it all the way, and go get certifications. It's it's kind of a pretty f- neat phenomenon. And I've even... It's- it's unbelievable. Like, There's folks that have gone to Linux Academy here in Washington State, some listeners of our shows, that have taken Linux Academy courseware and are now working at Amazon. And Linux Academy has a full set of AWS courseware, too. So you can go in there. Uh, and uh, I heard from one of them recently who uh, gave me some info that was really useful that helped me correct something I made a mistake on. And he says, yeah, by the way, I got the job. Thanks to my courseware nice. at Linux Academy. Yeah. Isn't that neat? It's really cool. To hear hear that is really cool. Yeah. So go check it out yourself. Linuxacademy.com. Unplug, and a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Unplug program. You guys are doing an awesome job. They're adding new stuff like crazy too. Holidays didn't slow them down. Okay, so this article uh, is super, super, super long, and it is full of snow, but uh, it is a regularly updated article that is trying to be the most comprehensive list of problems anywhere on the internet with the Linux desktop. Now, this person is not a Windows advocate. Uh, he even says no, here, no, it's not. this is not a Windows versus Linux comparison. Uh, he says, I want to make this crystal clear. Windows, in some regards, is worse than Linux. And it's definitely not ready for the desktop either. So it's not, uh, and this guy fixes bugs for the Linux kernel for many of the desktop environments. Yeah. A long-time developer. And he writes in here, uh, in different categories, the problems that are wrong with Linux. Uh, so I'll just read, read a couple of them, okay, guys? And and this isn't about bashing Linux, but I actually think if we look at this list, it's not such a bad idea to itemize the problems we have with Linux because then we have a central place to sort of acknowledge these problems and work on them, yeah. right? So that's well, not re- a re-
3: And it definitely reads like an article that was written by someone with a clue. I disagree with a number of points, and I think there's some cherry picking, but you know, I think it's worth looking at.
0: So uh, he, of course, bashes on NVIDIA Optimus technology and AKI dynamic GPU switching, still not supported on Linux. Open source driver limitations, he bashes on. Uh, They say, uh, he says open source NVIDIA drivers not properly and fully support power management features and fan speeds. Uh, Mesa problems, of course. You cannot easily mix proprietary drivers and open source drivers. Uh, So, you know, some things in the audio subsystem, he picks on the audio system, no reliable sound. He's, He's referencing a lot of things here. Uh, he complains like one of ours is too many layers of abstractions lead to situations where he just cannot determine why his audio is input is output is not working. Uh, so you have also kernel drivers, also library, then to Dmix, also audio server to also library, then pulse backend, then to the application. Six layers of audio redirection, and if you're on KDE, it's seven layers of audio redirection because of Phonon. Uh, no, no reliable high definition audio support. Things like above 96 kilohertz or uh, greater than 24 bits. Pretty much unusable, often on Linux. No reliable system-wide echo cancellation. You might notice that from our mumble room sometimes. On Windows and macOS, there's a system-level echo cancellation that applications can take advantage of. Um, lots of slamming on X. X is largely yeah, oh outdated, yeah. unsuitable, insecure. X doesn't automatically switch between desktop resolutions if you have an application that goes full screen and running and crashes for some reason. X doesn't restore gamma properly if an application changes. So if you play a Valve or a Wine game and experience a problem, you know, he's got a command here that'll fix that. Lots of complaints with X. A huge section on X. High DPI support is pretty much non-existent at the X level. Uh, Wayland, he's got complaints about Wayland. (laughs) Applications must implement their own window shadowing under Wayland because Wayland Decorator has no access to application sub-windows. Applications must implement their own font anti-aliasing, or the GTK or QT toolkits must. And there's no API for setting system-wide font rendering. He says most sane advanced windowing systems have exactly this. Windows, Android, Mac OS, you can all set system-wide font rendering. In Wayland, all clients read all applications are totally independent in this regard. Applications... Read GUI toolkits must also implement their own DPI scaling again Wayland doesn't do that uh, Wayland even though, there's a, even though its version is above 1.0 is still largely incomplete and not supportive of proprietary NVIDIA and AMD GPU drivers he's got a whole section on font rendering the Linux kernel driver problems stemming from vast number of different Linux distributions uh-huh. it's a pretty long list of problems
3: well and he does link you know he does provide citation for 99% of the stuff and so I'll give him props for that um, I, I think my only real gripe with it, because it's really well written. I mean, for, really, I mean, it's very detailed. A lot I, of work went can, into this. Yeah, I mean, he actually cares and honestly knows what he's talking about. But I do feel like there's someone that might need to just whatever he's developing or working on take a break, dude. Calm down. It's it's not gonna and, bite you. It's and there's okay. some stuff where like <laughs> it know, seems a little like, arbitrary
0: geez. and there's not enough information. Yeah. He says the new init system, system yeah. D, has been utterly broken by design. System yeah. D. Canon does segfault crash and freeze in the right. same world and it system should never crash. And he even says in the comments that he's, it's crashed for him. And then his proof for this is, well, he Google searched uh, systemd segfault, and that's his proof. Uh, I've got systemd running on nine systems under pretty heavy production load right now. And uh, I've never had it.
3: I've ne- they've never crashed, period, let alone systemd crash. I've, yeah.
1: I've never had systemd crash ever in yeah. two and a half well, years.
3: And, and if you look at his regressions link... Uh, you know great writer i' have no problem with who he linked to specifically, but it doesn 't actually prove anything yeah <laughs> you know it 's just it 's just a citation and so it 's kind of like you know there 's a lot of subjective stuff here it 's like how at the end of the day if he 's really up this upset about it you know let 's maybe flip this upside down and try and find solutions to it okay there 's a lot of layer abstractions there 's a lot of there 's a lot of layering stuff in linux distributions in general it 's kind of the nature of the beast um, in two thousand and fifteen computing holistically blows. I don't care what platform you're on. And that's okay. We don't have to, you know, you don't have to make it your daily thing. Um, So, you know, I don't know. I I look
0: at this list and I think to myself, all right, eh." some of these problems are legitimate problems. Like a lot of the problems Mm -hmm. he mentions with X and stuff. Um,
3: Right, right. But they don't
0: really prevent an average user from using the computer. And Bingo. they yep. don't maybe even notice that if you're a really an average no user. No one knows. If I park well, this in front DPI of some random guy on the street, stuff. they don't care. Yeah, DPI scaling, sure.
6: Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Sure. There's a bunch of stuff like that. It just makes it really hard to use a system where if you used a different operating system, it would just work. And it's really annoying, but at the same time, it's the kind of thing where a developer can work around it and, and just decide they don't care. But it's the type of thing that you can't convince your mom right. to live with it.
0: Well, and the toolkit does provide – like GTK and, and QT can provide some – so if they're just using – if it's a GTK app or QT app, they'll still have the whatever the GTK and QT system-wide anti-aliasing setting is. But if like, oh, pulse audio, you know what? I'm just – it sucks. It's, it, it's just still not working. I mean like well, as soon as I try a KD desktop, it's not working. If I'm on anything else, it's fine. But it's yeah. just – it's too much. It's, uh, exactly. Alex, do you have something – do you have input on the uh, audio frameworks?
2: Uh, yes, I wanted to mention that the audio situation is very complicated. I would, what I would like would be a part of the media kit from Haiku.
6: Hmm.
2: Media kit huh. uh, seems to be the best competitor to the sound solution on MacOS, which is by the far the best one so far on any computing. I'll look into
0: that. That's interesting. Daredevil, you had a a point on the Wayland and Fonts issue.
2: Yes. um, Actually, the Windows in their design, it's system-wide and everything, but also it's worth noticing that uh, whenever you're using anything else that is not the Windows forms, you also have issues. Not to mention that actually it opened up an extremely dangerous gra- uh, vulnerability just because they did it in that design and right. that model. I so remember the font, the
0: font bug. Yes, where you could take exactly, you could own a system
2: like, with a font. <laughs> yes, it's like with a browser at that yeah. point because you can send fonts to the br- via browser. Yeah,
0: uh, I cloud. that was a good one. You know, when I looked at uh-huh. his list here, I thought it was exactly what you said, Matt. God, in a way, computers suck in 2015. And then yeah. I thought to myself. You know I couldn't use anything else. I just I just, I just can't, can't use it. anything else. So, that's just like, it.
3: Well, like his printer and scanner argument, that made me angry because yeah. I will tell you any day of the week. You give me a printer and you hook me up on a Windows box. Right. I'll drop the CD in and then I'll take a trip up to visit Alan and then I'll come back and it'll still be installing <laughs> yeah. the software. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm just saying. <laughs> I didn't even read that yeah. because I just felt like oh
0: like uh, and yeah. also that's like that's an old argument. Well, these don't work with a Macintosh. You can't. Well then crap. you buy the stuff crap. that works with what you use. That's what like so it, like yeah, that argument like, is crap. Like if you bought us if you bought a Win modem back in the day and then decided to switch over to linux and the win modem didn't work well then you bought the wrong device or you shouldn't have switched to linux like if you when you when you buy a printer you, you check compatibility that just seems like a given
6: well specifically when i bought my new printer i bought one that was networked so that i it wouldn't matter if i didn't have to yeah. plug it into any machine yep. exactly because then you don't care i didn't have to have that machine on when i wanted to print yep because i want to put the printer exactly in my it. office downstairs and i didn't want to have to leave a computer on yep. and
0: so uh yeah. zero i was curious about your point regarding the nvidia driver
6: so the
5: the thing with NVIDIA, it, it kind of piggybacks along with what you said about printers and scanners. You know, get get hardware that works with with what you use. Um, you know, a lot of people complain that NVIDIA doesn't have good support uh, using Linux, and that's mostly, especially you know, Optimus and things like that. That's because we have you know, proprietary drivers uh, that that work well when they work, but can can fail often from the uh, from NVIDIA, um, who has time and time again, shown that they really don't care about Linux at all, um, you know, and, and got the finger from from Linus Torvalds over that. Uh, <laughs> That's true. And the people who are trying to make these things work in Linux, who are reverse engineering these things, you know, th- there aren't very many people like that because the people who cared about freedom in the first place enough to to potentially reverse engineer these things just didn't buy NVIDIA in the first place. hmm Yeah. Uh,
0: Wimpy, you have a point regarding printers. I'd like to hear that.
1: Yeah, just like any bit of hardware, when you buy a printer these days, you should buy a printer that supports your operating system, just like Alan said. And when I went shopping for a new printer last year, I was able to find one that not only clearly had uh, Linux support, but also supported Android. Uh, and that wasn't through the Google Cloud Print API. They actually, This is a brother printer, and they actually have a, a printing app in the Google Play Store. So you can you can even now you know find find hardware that's compatible with your mobile devices as well.
0: Yeah, very good point. Yep. And uh, urban I'll let you have the final word because it's a great point. You can't necessarily blame Linux if HP doesn't make a driver for a scanner, right?
2: Bingo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh, um I think that uh, a rep- a responsibility for for drivers is uh, entirely on the company that that makes that hardware and it's not on linux if hp is if hp doesn't uh, doesn't the drivers for for linux screw them we'll will do something else
0: that's right i mean that's why i bought a brother laser printer for the office because exactly. it just had great linux support i looked what i did is i just went and checked cups <laughs> and saw the driver in cups and i'm like okay well then i know it'll work on everything that runs cups and i'm good and well, uh,
6: yeah, yeah yeah that's just a uh, f- at the Free BSD Foundation, been trying to take that argument kind of the other way. Instead of being like, "Hey, this manufacturer doesn't make drivers for their device, screw them," it's more like, "Well, why don't we get together a big group and demonstrate the demand to them, and then they'll bother and we'll give them yeah. the resources to oh, help them build that's the That's a great idea too. I like that's it. excellent. Right? And and that's how we have more forty gigabit network drivers than other operating systems now because we <laughs> demonstrated the need.
0: Well, and you know, uh, shops like Microsoft. Uh, I had. They have, they have huge departments dedicated to specific pieces of hardware. So they have – like for the, for the Windows Server development team, on that team, there are sub-hardware teams that work just with manufacturers on getting drivers into that version of Windows. So there's a networking card department, a printer department, a storage department, and they might even have sub-departments. I mean it's very structured, and all those teams do is work with vendors to get drivers written and certified for Windows. So that makes the freeBSD approach make sense because that's you know what the commercial shops have been doing for a while. Well,
3: it, one last thing with this article too I want to point out that I wish he would have addressed is that when it comes to legacy devices such as an older printer an older scanner, um including Canon products, you will find that Linux is quite supportive whereas newer versions of Windows will tell you to go after yourself. Yeah. Um you're on your own. So, you know, just saying.
0: He, he's got a great bunch of stuff. And the reason why yeah. I like it is it's, it's hard, it's a little aggressive in its language, but it's accurate, it's referenced for the most yes. part. Yes, some of I it's agree. conjecture, some of it's personal opinion, but some of it's fact and you can't deny it's it. And
3: pretty good citation too. Yeah. I,
0: I actually think it's not bad to I, – I, some people think I'm being negative. I don't think it's bad to lose sight of shortcomings so that way we can focus on those and make them even better because there's opportunity if Linux shores these things up. So, And the only way to do that is if we keep ourselves accountable.
3: Absolutely. Well, and he, and to his credit, when a, an adjustment is made or he discovers something that actually counters a, a, a previous point, he will cross it out and actually update it. So that's cool. Yeah, very much. All right.
0: Yeah. But uh, if uh, if you're uh, if you're not thick skinned and you might be a little hard to read, I don't know. I just yeah. Just yeah. I'll Put the you to the show pants on. Yeah, right. <laughs> Pour yourself a cold <laughs> one and exactly. uh, go go well, go on. Okay, that's fair enough. You can read it. Uh, throw it like in your uh, read later queue or something like that. Oh, by the way. Uh, just fun to point out. He does, you know, I, I just went off the whole list of problems with Linux. Uh, it might be fun to mention. Here's a few things he thought's wrong with Windows. Devastating Windows rot occurs. No enforced file system and registry hierarchies. Mm-hmm. SVS host.exe. No more needed to be said there. Oh, not a true safe mode. It is not legitimately a true safe mode. No clean state option. The user as a system administrator... Uh, is bogus and most users just totally ignore UAC no good packaging mechanism MSI is a fragile abomination no system wide update mechanism which includes third party software Windows is extremely difficult to debug Windows boot problems are often fatal and unsolvable unless you reinstall from scratch Windows is hardware dependent especially when you're running from UEFI Windows updates are unreliable, and they also waste disk space. And there's mm-hmm. no way to cleanly upgrade your system. There will be thousands of leftover files, etc. So, again, he's not yep. saying Windows is great. Yep. And I would agree with all that list. Yeah,
3: uh, yeah. Especially you did the, a pretty good job, I think. I mean, every considering, yeah. considering.
0: Yeah. Uh, Alan, final thought on the uh, topic? Oh, I thought I heard Alan. But then oh, I didn't. So. Oh, I guess he left. He said something in the mumble room and then he left. He, he dropped his BSD microphone. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? Yeah. Boom! Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Alan wanted me to mention uh, before he left that uh, TechSnap, uh, episode 200 of the TechSnap program, is coming up just in a couple of weeks. And uh, if you've listened to TechSnap and something we've talked about, a story we've covered, an ans- a question we've answered or anything like that has ever helped you at home on your network or in your office, project, somewhere out there, a little TechSnap advice has been helpful for you. Please send it into the TechSnap program. Go over to jupyterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Choose TechSnap from the drop-down, and send in your story. We're going to have a special episode 200 where we'll be reading through some of those to celebrate. So uh, it's uh, kind of amazing, 200 episodes in a row, wow. too, wow. Which, is, which is nuts. Uh, all right, guys. Well, I'll just – we'll uh, wrap it up there. I want to remind you that I'm looking for your personal runs Linux, either ones you find. Would, uh, that's fine, too, but I really love to see your setups. Email them to Show at com and put Runs Linux in the subject line. And if you need to uh, send in a video, put that up on YouTube. And if you've got a picture, please put that up on imager and link that because I just pull down the text. I don't pull down attachments. And uh, I'd love to feature those in an upcoming Linux Action Show. You can also submit ones you find out in the wild to uh, LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. com is also a great place to make this show and our other shows even better and give feedback. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Anything like a story community engagement, an app pick, a runs Linux, anything like that on the subreddit. It's really welcome. And it helps make everything better. And don't forget, you can join us live, jblive.tv, 2 p.m. Pacific, jupiterbroadcasting.com, slash calendar, to get that in your local time zone. And then you can hang out in our chat room, join our open mumble room, and even title our show. It's a lot to do. So join us, won't you? All right, Matt. Well, uh, coming up on uh, Sunday's Linux Action Show, we'll have a great show. And I've been following the news already. got a few stories I can't wait to talk about. So uh, join us on Sunday for that, so I'll see you then, Matt. See you then. Okay, everybody. Well, guess what? That brings us to the end of this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Do join us, won't you? And don't forget, we've also got Android apps, so you can watch Jupiter Broadcasting on the go, and jblive.info, which is an audio-only stream, which works great when you're in the car over 3G, or maybe you're at your desk and they don't want you using video. It's a great option, jblive.info. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. See you right back here next Tuesday. Everybody go to jbtitles.com and we vote! Boat! Boat boat, boat, boat. boat, 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 and uh And we'll while well, you guys vote, I want to play, uh, I don't know, if there's been a series of videos. Uh, the Ubuntu Touch Terminal Emulator, it came out once before, but we didn't talk about it on the show. Uh, and this is the uh, new multiple-tab Ubuntu Terminal that we might see ship in 1504. And uh, yeah. one of the things I would look at is uh, the animation's pretty smooth. It's pretty slick. It looks pretty oh, I good. Like that. Yeah. So watch this now. He'll click this, and there he zooms out. And there's a there's a different tabs. So instead of tabs along the top, you have sort of like a tab overview, sort of almost like the Firefox tab overview page. And you can see like the scroll action there looks real smooth. It's it's nice looking. Looks like a nice. So just to product.
4: be just to be clear, this is the um, terminal for the phone that. We happen to have made sure it works on you right. know, the desktop and tablet convergence, yep. which is um Convergence. But, but um it's uh it's not in the phone yet. It's in it's in the store if you're on if you've got a phone and you can grab the code, it's all open source. Cool. It's cool. It's actually maintained by the same guy who made a cool retro terminal. Oh,
5: great. oh man. Great. That's
4: cool I love cool retro yeah. terminal
0: <laughs> but
5: you know I just gotta say it's stuff like this that makes Linux so compelling i this just is just good
0: yeah yeah this is fun and uh, i i like uh I like the uh you know it's it's definitely i mean not like desktop optimized but I like that you know they didn't make it for the desktop necessarily but yet it's still functional
4: so that's that's good
0: yeah I saw it had a retro cool terminal mode too which is really neat uh, yeah,
4: the um, the little thing down the bottom. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, this. we're like there's the, a little pop-up menu. Yeah. and what we've what we're planning for that is for it to be uh, customizable, so you can have oh, cool. a pop-up menu for Emacs and a pop-up menu for <laughs> Vi, and it has all your like keyboard shortcuts pre-filled in for, and you can define your own and Oh shut your, your mouth! That's know, cool. A, a,
0: a that's great. JSON nice. file or something. That's, that's really quite cool. That's. I can't wait for that.
3: That's Did I just awesome. hear customizable and Ubuntu in the same sentence? Oh, boy. Yeah.
5: Oh, snap. Pure
3: oh, snappage. Get uh, back in your box. <laughs> <laughs>